Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God get into God's word this morning. I'm going to go ahead and ask y'all to stand back up. I don't even know why y'all sat down. Y'all know how we're doing here. Amen. Why don't you meet me in Isaiah chapter 5 this morning? Isaiah chapter 5. As you do that, please don't forget after this gathering to to head down, uh, make sure you sign up for a small group. Uh, All the uh, small group representatives will be out there at the tables. Make sure you get down there and get in a small group, amen? Amen, and then ladies, don't forget this Saturday, upcoming Saturday on the 14th, uh, SALT is having their kickoff 5 to 8 p.m. Make sure y'all get out there for that. And then last but not least, please make sure that you are keeping uh, Pastor, Pastor Mason and his family lifted up. Uh, they, they needed, like they needed an additional week, amen? Uh, and so as you think of them, just pray that the Lord would grant them some supernatural rest, amen? Isaiah chapter 5, we're in verses 1 through 7 uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to be real brief and then I'm out your way uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to read it for your hearing if that's all right. All right, Isaiah chapter one, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Down through verse 7, here's the word of the Lord. It says, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill, and he broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. And he built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now, I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. If I could tag our text this afternoon, it would simply be this, making good on God's investment making good on God's investment. Father, we do come before you this morning with bended knee and humbled hearts, acknowledging that you indeed are our strength. You are our strength, and in our weakness, you are made strong. So God, we boast in our weakness. 
So, Father, we pray, God, as we enter into this time of reading your word, hearing your word, that we would offer up ourselves to be changed, offer up ourselves to be transformed, to take a look, a good look at who we are, who you are, how good you are and have been to us, and that we might work from a place of gratitude, we might serve from a place of thankfulness, we might live from a place of humility because of what you have already done. Yeah. Yeah. So God, we pray, Lord, would you speak to us this day? In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Making good on God's investment. So I, I love 90s R&B. I'm not going to look up and see who was saying amen, because 90s R&B can be dangerous if you're not in the right season, amen. And, you know, as, as much... You know, I guess I can be transparent as a pastor and admit this. As, as, I, as much as I like trap music, you know, it just, there, there's just, there's something lacking about um, what this generation doesn't offer you musically. Now, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm not downing the music of this generation. Listen, so all I'm saying is what, what this generation is, is missing that I had when I was growing up was a good breakup song. Y'all can act like I'm the only one in here. And, and especially the dudes try to sit in here and act tough. Y'all had breakup songs too. But... If I can be honest with you, for some strange reason, I, I, always, I always lean towards the spiteful lover breakup songs. You know, just the, the ones that they were like, you know, like, I'm glad you gone. You gonna regret it. There was, uh, you, know, you know, so there, there, there was one particular, uh, one particular artist named Dave Hollister. Now, some of y'all exposing yourselves because Dave was a little ratchet. Dave was a little ratchet. But Dave, Dave, Dave had a song called, called, I Can't Stay. Yeah, so, some of y'all act like y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I'm not going to sing it this morning, but, but, I, but he, he starts off the song and he says, he says, when we first met, things were fine. We went out to dine. We strolled the beach. Anybody know the next words? Holding hands, I got something, come on. Be honest in here, be honest. Was that Casey, was that Casey Potter? Come on now. I ain't even got my glasses on. I can. Holding hands, sharing quality time. And then he says, he says, he says, what happened between then and now? The love we had was lost somehow. 
Then the chorus, you might know the chorus. He's like, girl, I got to go. I can't stay. You said things would change. Nah, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, that's, a, that, that's, that, that's the But you know, you know R&B songs, they, they always started off promising. You know, the music hit, and it just, you know, it just puts something in your soul, and you just start. And, and, but, but the funny thing about R&B oftentimes is it would start, and you would think that it was a love ballad. And in actuality, it would be an accusation. Because love stories would start and they would, they would begin by talking about all the great things that we had been through together. But at some point in time, you became unfaithful. At some point in time, you became untrustworthy. And so oftentimes, it wasn't until the end of the song that you realized I was actually dissing you the whole time. This is what Isaiah begins to do here in chapter 5. Isaiah begins to share how his loved one had a vineyard. And he says, I'm going I'm to sing a song to you, Israel. I'm going to sing this song to you. And, and he starts off this song by describing or painting this picture of his loved one, this person that he loves, this unnamed person and this person's vineyard. And, and I like what Isaiah does here. He doesn't lay his cards all out on the table because he keeps hidden what the purpose and the theme of this song is like. He clouds it in mystery. But he starts off and he says that, that he has this loved one that has a vineyard and this loved one takes really, really good care of his vineyard. He, 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 he gives this, this vineyard all of his resources, all of the best resources that he has. He, he surrounds this vineyard in an environment that is ripe for growth and productivity and life. And he begins to describe what this, what this vineyard keeper is like in regards to his vineyard. And he even starts off in verse two and he says, or verse one, he says that, that the vineyard was planted on a very fertile hill. Meaning that, that, that the, the vineyard keeper cared so much about wanting to see health and life and growth and fruitfulness from its vineyard that he had enough time and, and took enough energy to scour out the lands to find the perfect plot of land where the, the soil was most, most fertile. Because if you know anything about planting, you can plant anywhere. You, you can throw seeds down in any type of soil. But the better the soil that you use, the better the results that you can expect. And so the, the vineyard keeper here says, I, 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 I'm going to use the best soil. I'm going to use the, the fertile soil, the life-giving soil on the side of a hill so that it has easy access to the rain. It has easy access to the sunlight because I'm care, I care about the results. I care about the time that I'm going to spend investing into this vineyard so that when the results come, I can expect something healthy can expect something fruitful. I can expect something good. But it doesn't just say he stopped there at, at picking good soil. You know, it, it doesn't just say he's, he stopped there at, at, at trying to find uh, an ideal place by which to plant these vines. It says in verse 2 that, that he even turned over the soil, that he found the soil and he, and he took it and he, he, he broke the soil up. And, and the reason that that matters is because 
if you have your soil and it's really compacted, it makes it hard for the rain to get through. It makes it hard for the roots to navigate. And, and I'm, I, I, listen, I, I'm not a planter. I, I, I don't plant. I don't, you know, Pastor Nyron be doing them illustrations talking about he be planting in his, I don't do all that stuff. You know, I'm a little bougie. I don't like dirt and all that stuff. Like, I, 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 I can't be bothered. But, but, but here's, here, here, here's what it says. The, the effect of, toil, of breaking up the soil, of turning over the soil, is that there is more oxygen available in the soil now. That the plant roots and the water drainage is improved. And it makes it easier for plant roots to penetrate and reach out further into the soil, which allows for better stability. He said there's a reason for why soil gets turned over. So imagine this, this vineyard keeper not only finding rich soil, but doing the work necessary to turn the soil over. And he doesn't stop there. It says that, that he removes the stones from out of the soil. He gets rid of every impediment that would keep it or make it impossible for these fruit to grow. So, so this is the vine keeper going through and with his hands, bending down and picking up large stones and moving them to the outskirts of the field. He's removing things that are dangerous or hurtful for you. He's, he's removing things that he knows is going to stagnate your fruitfulness. He's removing things that he knows is going to crush you under the pressure of the weight of what's sitting on you. He's removing those things so you can be in an ideal situation by which to grow. It says, he says he removes these stones, but the stones are not useless. Because the, the master builder, you know what he does? He, he makes use of all his resources. And so he takes those stones and he uses those stones to build a stone wall around the, the vineyard. And, and that stone wall is there to keep out uh, stray animals from just trampling haphazardly on the fruit or coming in and eating the fruit that's supposed to be bearing. And so the, the hedge or the stones is now a means of protection that God uses to keep you safe. To allow you to prosper, to, 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 to put you in the most maximizing position so that when fruit comes, there's no excuse for why it's not good fruit. Not only does he, he protect it, but he says, he says that he planted it with the finest vines. He, he didn't just use any old type of seed. He, he used the finest vines, the, the ones that, that, were, that, that last the longest, that were the healthiest, that, that produced the most fruit. Because God knows when he wants to give you his best, he doesn't take you to, to Popeye's. He takes you to Chick-fil-A. But that's another sermon for another day. But, but, but then after he plants the vines, and these, these vines, see, see to, be a, to be a planter, a, a keeper of a vineyard, you, you have to know that once you uh, have, have gotten this good soil, and once you've turned it over, and once you've removed the stones, and then once you've planted these good vines, you know what a good planter does? A good planter just waits. Be, because from the time of planting until the time that fruit actually is produced is about two years. That, that means that, that he gives the vineyard a, the necessary time needed to be able to grow and develop in the way it's supposed to. See, see, it's, it's similar to, to cooking on the grill with a hamburger. And some of y'all might know I'm real bougie with my burger, so, you know. But, but one of the things that people mess up on is, you know what they do? They don't wait long enough. They overflip their burgers. This, see, this, I, I know I'm giving y'all a little side, a little side something right here. So you go home, try this on your burger next time. But you're only supposed to flip your burger one time. You, 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 know, you, you know why? Because it loses its tenderness the more you mess with it. 
it dries out and the juiciness of the burger continues to get pulled out of the burger itself. But, but you know what a good cook does that's just like a, 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 good, a, a good vineyard keeper is they wait. They wait and trust the work that they've put in that what is supposed to happen will be produced from it without getting impatient to the process. But, but not only that, while the vineyard keeper is waiting, the vineyard keeping is taking those excess rocks. And the Bible says that he's building a watchtower in the middle so that when that harvest season comes, he can live there in the vineyard to fight off any animals that want to steal his harvest. What, what a great vineyard keeper. But then, listen, look at what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, after he built a tower in the middle of it, he even dug out. A wine press. That, that's, that, that, that word wine press there is there in the emphatic, which means or, or gives an inclination that the work that he was doing was backbreaking work. That, that this was not just ordinary work. This was work that a vine keeper or a vineyard keeper would do if they had extra time, if they had extra resources, if they had extra energy, they would go the extra mile by building a wine presser which, which carved out into the rock on the side of the hill. So that at harvest time, they could gather the grapes, they could press the grapes, and they could get all the juice that was necessary for it. It's, it's not just about producing the fruit, but it, the vine keeper had also made preparations so that the, the, the grapes that were now supposed to be healthy could be made useful for what they were supposed to be for. This is, this is the picture that Isaiah is painting of what this vine keeper is like, this unnamed vine keeper is like, that he, he finds good soil and plants you there. He plants you in an ideal environment. And then not only that, but he's, he's so careful to remove things that might get in your way from growing the way that he wants you to grow. Sometimes, sometimes he removes this person, picks them up out of their field and puts them in another field. And sometimes he, he takes this relationship and, and moves it out of the way. Sometimes you got to change cities. Uh, so, sometimes he, he puts you in the right church uh, and, and puts you around the right people and and gives you access to good, healthy, doctrinal teaching and, and, and allows for small groups to be available uh, to you and gives you opportunities to serve and maximize your gifting. And even though you came in weak and broken and, and struggling and, and doubtful, God plants you in an ideal circumstance. And, and guess what he does? He expects growth. He expects fruitfulness. But but. This, that's, that becomes the problem because as Isaiah begins describing what this vine keeper is like, he says that after the vine keeper has done all of this backbreaking work, has taken all of this care and used all of these resources, he came back and expected it to yield good grapes. I mean, why wouldn't you expect it to yield good grapes? You used the best soil, you got the best vines, you moved out anything that might keep it from growing. It's planted where it has access to rain and sunshine. I mean, this is the best, most ideal circumstance. So of course you would come back and expect to find something fruitful, but it says, no, it yielded worthless grapes. Now, notice that the issue here is not a matter of non-growth or non-fruitfulness because the vines produced something, meaning that you are always bearing fruit, Christian, but the issue is what type of fruit are you bearing? 
So the vine dresser gets there and he says, man, he says, hold on, hold on, maybe, 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 maybe it's me. Maybe, 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 there's, maybe there's something wrong with me for why these grapes ain't grow the way they were supposed to grow. And, and, and this, this being a participatory society or audience, Isaiah now begins to engage with the people of Israel, the people of Judah around him. And, and, and God, through Isaiah, begins to invite them into a conversation. And he says, hey, 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 Israel, can, can y'all come here real quick? I, I need you guys to help me assess if it's my fault that the grapes didn't grow or, 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 or that they were worthless or whether it's the vineyard's fault. I, I need some help. So, so can y'all come here and just let me lay out this story for you. And I want you to take the evidence that I've supplied. Good soil, good vines, ideal location, no impediments around. Why didn't it grow? And this becomes now a conversation. And, and, and what it says is, this, it says, why, why when I expected to yield good grapes, it yielded worthless grapes? What more could I have done for the vineyard than I already did? Now, because this is a participatory society, they would have been highly upset, just like Isaiah's communicating the vineyard, uh, the vineyard owner is. And they would have said, man, ain't nothing you could have did. That vineyard crate, man, go ahead and leave that vineyard alone. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your resources. You're wasting your energy. What, man, I wouldn't even plant there no more. We should just put up a sign that lets everybody else know that this vineyard is worthless and they shouldn't plant there either. Like, like, man, if I, had, if, if I had my Baptist voice right now, I, 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 I would be so thankful that, that even though people give up on you, that, that God never gives up on you. That, that, that man, if I had a Baptist voice right now, I, I, I would probably say something like, I, I'm so glad that my God didn't leave me forsaken. That I, I'm so glad. Now, I, I'm not going to do it. That was just a little. But, 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 but don't, don't you know that God is, God is asking them this question. Like, like, what more? What more could I have done? What more could I have given? Now, now this, is, this is God wanting to see growth. God has invested genuine, authentic resources into this vineyard, giving them the best that he had. And he says, I should have expected some fruitfulness. How come it ain't showing up? And the crowd's like, man, listen, I'm with you. This vineyard is wildin'. But then God says, God, God, God says, God, listen, this, this brings me to my, my first point, or I should have said that before I did, went through my first point. But the first point was, the first point was, God is not responsible for your lack of growth. God is not responsible for your lack of growth. You know, sometimes we have the audacity to walk around when we know we aren't growing. And better yet, when we're producing unrighteous fruit. And then we blame God because he didn't allow circumstances to be a certain way. You know, you know what we do? Listen, I'm guilty of this too. We, we blame God for not allowing us to be in ideal circumstances to thrive. Like, in order for us to be fruitful, everything around us got to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then, man, well, God, I would be further along, but, but you know, like, this person. God, I, I would be more obedient, but you know, man, it's like, 
why you keep letting me be tempted by stuff? <laughs> but listen, listen, not, not, not only that, not as, only is God not responsible for our growth. And listen, we, we see this other way in scripture. We see this in, in James chapter one. He says, he says, uh, no one going into a trial should say that I'm being tempted by God because God's not tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. A person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And then, then, then in John chapter 15, Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you, you produce much fruit and by it prove to be my disciples. Meaning that there is an expectation for the Christian to produce fruit that is because of something that you have done and that is evidence that you actually belong to him. But not, not, not only is God not responsible for, for your growth, but, but num point number two, God is not absent when you experience the consequences of your sin. Look what he says. Verse, verse five. Now I will tell you what I am about to do. God is taking a, an active role in what's going to happen as part of the consequences for the lack of fruitfulness that exists or the lack of good fruit that exists in, 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 the, in, in their life. It says, it says um, I will remove its heads, the, the, the stone fence that I, that I built up as a means of protection for you. I'm, I'm going to remove it and I'm going, to, I'm going to allow the animals to come in and tread on you. I'm going to allow the, them to come eat of your worthless fruit. And, and not only that, but I'm going to tear down the wall so you'll be trampled and I'll make you a wasteland. I'm not going to prune you. I'm not going to cut the dead stuff off of you and out of your life. I'm just going to let you grow haphazardly and wild. And it's going to look like nobody's taking care of you because briars and thorns are going to be growing up all around you and weeds are going to get entangled and, and choke the life out of you. And, and it's, it's because there's a lack of fruitfulness. But notice what else he does. It says, I'm also going to tell the clouds to stop raining on you. Like this, this, this is how frustrated he is with the fact that he's poured all of these godly resources and given you this ideal condition and circumstance and you have produced not just no fruit but bad fruit. He's so frustrated. He's like, man, listen, I'm like, don't y'all let one drop. Don't, don't you let one drop hit that ground. And guess what the clouds got to do? Clouds got to obey. You imagine the ground crying out, yo, listen, man, we thirsty. Can you just give me some drop? Man, listen, man, I ain't getting on God's bad side. Like, yo, you better work that out. But listen to the frustration that, that's coming. Is that God, God is so frustrated by their lack of God-given fruitfulness. What, what should have been theirs, what absolutely should have been produced in them was absent. And, and you, might, you might say that this is, this, is, this is a little overboard. Like, man, God, like, come on. Like, you couldn't just try over again with them? Like, you couldn't just plant more vines? You couldn't just, you know, water it a little bit more? Maybe it just was an off year. And God's like, no, nah, I don't work like that. If I already gave you the best soil, there's no better soil to give. If I already used the best vine, there's no better vine to use. If the best that I could, go, could do wasn't good enough, then there's nothing that's going to be good enough. It's worthless. Last point, simply this. God is the one who holds the divine mirror up to our face. Look what he, look what he does. I, I, I love this because up until this point in time, throughout this whole dialogue, this whole back and forth, the, the people still have no idea 
who the, the, the loved one is and who and what the vineyard represents. It, now, now, if they were smart, they would have known that they're talking to a prophet of God. And so you would assume that he got some up his sleeve like, man, whatever he's saying probably got to do with me. But, but for some reason, it's most popular, pop, probable that this people had no clue that he was about to hit them with the, he was about to blindside them with this truth. And, 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 and Isaiah sets them up purposely. He says, he says, so the vineyard is actually uh, the, the vineyard uh, that belong, belongs to the Lord of armies. And that vineyard is actually you, the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. That he delighted in taking his time and resources to invest in, to nurture, to, 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 uh, to, to uh, uh, just invest his time and energy into. And, and, and what I love about this is, is Isaiah sets this up just like Nathan set up David. And, and, and he went to David and he said, man, David, we got an issue, man. Listen, it's this king and, and, and he's being oppressive and, and he stole what belonged to this poor man and he won't give it back. And he's like, and David got hot and bothered. He's like, what you mean? It's a king that stole from a poor man. Like, man, that's injustice. That's offensive to me. I'm about to take care of this king. Who is he? And Nathan said, you the man. It's you. And, and, and what Nathan was able to do was he was able to drum up by, by uh, David's emotions by presenting him the facts and then getting David to agree that, that what had taken place was a travesty until David found out that he was the one who had done the offense. And Isaiah is doing the same thing here, and he's presenting these facts. Good soil, good vine, good hill. God has spent time removing impediments and, and care and concern and protection, and it still didn't grow. And everybody in the audience is like, man, they trip and get rid of that vine. I wouldn't spend no more time on it either. And then he's like, it's you. Because the, the, the word of God always sits before us as a mirror. To show us exactly who we are. There, there is no fooling the word of God. See, you, you can hide in small groups. And you can fool your accountability groups and your DNA support stuff. You, you can dress the part and talk like you know some theology. But when the word of God stares down into your soul, there is no fooling it. I say, he says, I say, he says, man, it's, it's you. When, when I, when I showed up looking for justice, I saw injustice. When, when I showed up looking for justice, I saw oppression. I saw you taking advantage of the widow and, and the orphan. I, I saw you just making a fool of the temple and I saw you greedy for money and unjust gain. And, and, and when I came to look for righteousness, all I saw was violence against one another. He said, I set you up in an ideal circumstance. Wasn't it enough that I freed you from the house of bondage? Wasn't it enough that I, that I walked with you personally through the wilderness and, and gave you a land of promise, a land that was your own, a, man, a land flowing with milk and honey? Wasn't it enough that I protected you from all the enemies that were surrounding you? Wasn't it enough that I gave you my word, I gave you my, my commandments, and I gave you my presence, that I gave, you, had, you had me? When I came back to look upon the work that I had done, all I saw was worthlessness. When I, when I came to examine the fruit that was supposed to be on the tree of your life, I was confused. 
Because what I saw shouldn't have been there. If I can end with this, there was a, a club, a new integrated club in, in New York City in 1939. And singing at the club was a, a, a brand new artist, a young artist who was hot at the time uh, by the name of Billie Holiday. And that night in that New York club, she began to sing what would become an extremely controversial song. And it goes like this. Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. This song was a song that gave a haunting critique of what was happening with lynching and terrorism down in the American South. And if you were alive during that day and drove down to any of those states in the South and looked up at the trees, instead of seeing apples, you might have seen a young black man. Instead of seeing oranges, you would have seen the body of a young black woman. What you would often see hanging from those trees wasn't supposed to be there. It was unusual. It was foreign. It was strange. If I could ask you a question this afternoon, what is growing on your tree that's not supposed to be there? What is strange about the way that your life looks because you spent so much time imitating this world? Dear brothers and sisters, don't you get so distracted by rendering to Caesar what belongs to Caesar that you forget to give God what belongs to him? Simply put, all I want you to remember is that God has invested much into your life. And we need to be aware and accountable to the fact that he's going to return one day to inspect whether or not we've made good on his investment. Father God, we pray and we thank you, O oh God, for the investment that you have given to us through your son, that you sent him to die on a tree for our place, that from eternity's perspective, his death was strange and unusual and foreign, and he should not have been hanging there. It should have been us. But God, we're thankful that he took our place, that he stepped in on our stead and that he died for our sin and that you God in response gave us your precious Holy Spirit to dwell in us to lead us to guide us to assure us of our salvation God oh God we pray today would you help us to walk in freedom would you help us to walk in holiness and righteousness before you? Might we take seriously, oh God, what fruit is being produced in our lives so that when you return and inspect what is coming off of our tree, you might say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God, we pray all of these things in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, 
particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.